Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. My name's Taylor, and I'm the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hello, uh, my name is Joe. I am a current library student at URI's uh, Master's of Library and Information Studies program, and I use they, them, theirs pronouns. Hi, my name is Erin. Uh, I am a Teen Services Assistant, and I use she, her pronouns. Hi, my name is Derek, and I am not connected to a library, but I love them because they're awesome, and my pronouns are he, him. Library fans are always welcome here. If we didn't have fans, we couldn't continue to be librarians. So I am very excited to have these three special guests with me here today because uh, this week we thought we'd do something a little bit different, and um, this week's episode is our Trans 101 episode. Um, so these three uh, guests are here to talk about their experiences and give everyone a little bit of a better idea if maybe you don't personally, if you're listening and you personally don't know someone who's trans, we're hoping to increase your knowledge on that subject a little bit this week. So um, at the top here of the show, I thought kind of to kick things off, uh, we would talk a little bit about one thing you wish everyone knew about being trans and or non-binary. Um, I know that's probably picking one thing is probably very difficult, but uh, maybe just, you know, if you think about just the, the least amount of knowledge you would want someone to know about it, what would you want them to know? Uh, I can start from here. Uh, I mean, most basic thing is that doesn't know where just people were maybe identified differently from the majority, but that's, that's it. There's a full spectrum of people, good and bad, who are gender of some variety, and there's it's just another way of being. Yeah. yeah, well put. I, I think I would just echo Aaron. Um, that's my, like, trans 101 bullet point is trans people are people can't really condense them by any one defining trait. They're just people. <laughs> yeah, I would I would say like I feel like one of the things that gets kind of bypassed whenever a lot of people think about it is not every trans person has the same experience. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people mm -hmm. think, oh, it's this kind of blanket thing like you're trans, so that means you must go through this, which is I think a huge a huge like misunderstanding that Really, it doesn't. Every single, every single person, just like anyone who is cisgendered, your story is always different. So uh, this was a question from one of my coworkers, but I thought it was a really great question. Um, they ask, what part of your experience as a trans or non-binary person has brought you the most joy? For me, one of the, the big things that was nice was uh, switching pronouns over to they them once I started to get more comfortable with a non-binary identity uh, was just how quickly all of my friends like caught themselves and switched right over there with it and were always very like quick about catching slip-ups and inserting correct pronouns. I think one of probably one of the things that brings me the most joy of it is finally getting to like solidify my own identity as opposed to like this pretend persona that I made up for years just to kind of 
try and fit in with everyone else. Like, it was very freeing to finally be around people who were like, yeah, we just like you for you. So just be you. And it, it took a while learning who I was, but now that, now that I'm there, I'm really happy with it. Yeah, I think I had read a post somewhere a while ago that was saying that, like, generally people in the LBGTQIA plus community are, like, I don't know if the way they worded it was, like, self-aware, but that we have this whole journey with our identity that straight and cis people don't, like, have to have because they just their their identity like matches up with like the mainstream narrative so they're they don't really have to like think about it and reflect about it as much as a person who needs who you know has to go through all this like soul searching for lack of a better word to suss out what about them is different from everyone else or from that mainstream narrative I think it's like that's really wonderful to have like when you're on the other side of that to have had that experience and allowed you to be like so much more in touch with yourself and so much more like solid in your identity. I can echo what what Eric was talking about with um, just being able to establish who I was as myself and not as some kind of like reflection of other people's impressions of me was very liberating and definitely the most positive part of the whole whole quote-unquote trans experience for me. And so on the flip side of that, uh, if you guys are comfortable sharing, um, I was curious about maybe what was you would say for you personally was the most difficult part of your experience with life thus far as being trans or non-binary. I guess I can kick this one off. Um, Honestly, I have to say it's it's like watching the stories of other trans folk complete their journeys, and I still feel like I'm miles behind. Like I'll I'll see, and I know it's not like a race or anything, but like I've I've personally known a few people who, within you know six months of being on T, now they're getting top surgery, now they're doing this, and I'm like it other factors have come into it like mostly medical costs and just legalities and whatnot but it's been kind of a drag to watch how slow the progression can be mm-hmm. i think the hardest part for me has just been like other people and not even necessarily in the terms of you know someone dramatically confronting me or whatever Although I've always had that fear in the back of my head pretty much every single time I go outside. Um, at least been, I've been, I personally have been extremely fortunate, knock on uh, fake wood here, that um, I haven't experienced that yet. But like, you know, it's good stuff in the news, stuff on the internet, uh, the stuff from the family, from people in the street or walking down past me, even necessarily realize and it's just everywhere and it can be very draining yeah i'm sure i mean i know i feel like part of the non-binary identity but still like being to operate and move through the world um more or less frictionless when still being ascribed you know by gender at birth and there's arguments made either way on if invisibility is a privilege or not but like it just it feels 
shallower and easier that I still have that opportunity to just like, you know, if I go out and somebody misgenders me as a cis male, at the end of the day, it's it's unlikely I'm going to come to harm from that. So, um, so the next question I have here is, what is gender dysphoria, and do all trans people experience it? I can start with the easy part to that question, which is not all trans people experience gender dysphoria. It's not a requirement to be trans, especially since you know sometimes you don't necessarily know that you're experiencing it, experiencing it until you stop experiencing it. So putting it as a, re a requirement, in quotes, is not particularly helpful in talking about trans experience. Um, but as to what it actually is, I mean, again, that's going to be different for everybody in the ways it manifests, just a disconnect between how people relate to you or a disconnect with your body. It's a, It can be a very personal thing. The reason I included this question, because I have, you know, heard stuff out there, read stuff on the internet of a kind of debate of like, do you have to be dysphoric or, or at least, or have experienced dysphoria in the past in order to be considered trans? So I thought it was an important thing to discuss. Um, I think with trying to define it, uh, just sort of jumping off how Aaron, uh, what Aaron brought up rather, um, with it being sort of a disconnect between, I guess, your own perceived self and society's perceived self generally in regards to gender. Um, and then because we live in a society that more or less inherently genders everything, it can manifest through any of those avenues and any of those outlets. Um, and so it's just sort of feeling that disconnect in any number of, of places or ways yeah, like um, there's definitely a huge range when it comes to gender dysphoria. Like it could be something as big as you hate every single aspect about your body because it doesn't match what you should see in the mirror, like what you see in your mind, but it's not. Um, but it can also be like little tiny versions. Like um, I remember pretty early on, I was... I didn't realize it was dysphoria for a long time, but it, it really kind of was um, where I would worry constantly, like every day, am I going to pass? Am I going to pass? And I hate that term, but it, it was like this thought in the back of my head every single day of if I step outside my door, like, am I going to be able to blend in the way that I want to without being called out on it? And it's, it's interesting to me personally that it can also show up at different stages of your transition because those were very, I consider them very minor um, types of dysphoria for myself. But then recently during the past year, um, I had some very severe dysphoria because after years of successfully being gendered correctly and, you know, living a completely, um, completely transitioned life for five plus years, all of a sudden people were in just random people were like, Oh yeah, that girl over there and oh yeah, I talked to her I talked to her and it was it was very like it just really messed with me. And I had kind of this downward spiral for a while and it was just weird to me that it could happen so late in a transition. Yeah, I mean I'm sure because you felt like you've you've made all this progress and then brings you back to the time where you didn't feel as happy or satisfied, maybe. Yeah, and, and that was pretty much it, was that 
I felt like I had kind of completed this this outward persona, and suddenly it wasn't working. Anymore. I was like, "What? What happened? What went wrong?" Yeah, sometimes one like one wrong comment, and it feels like you rob at, like everything you've tried to do, and it doesn't feel great. So, uh, to move on to something that maybe your answers will help some people make some more positive experience for you all. Um, this is a question that I got from my boss. Uh, who said, what would make uh, the public restroom experience better slash safer besides just changing signs? I'm not sure it's a good answer to that one. I mean, make sure everyone on the staff is, you know, up-to-date policy and that the policy is abided by. I, I think the signage it's largely a matter of establishing a track record that, like, your, you know, public space is a public space that respects trans people and trans bodies you know yeah yeah like i i think it unfortunately signage like signage is great but signage won't help anything until it becomes normalized in in society anyway like i would say just general education needs to be better about mm -hmm. the trans populace and you know our life experiences and how we're, we're literally just people who want to be happy people going back to um, how Joe was saying about one of the really affirming things was everyone changing the pronouns that they use. Um, so I kind of have like a two part, I put two questions together because they were somewhat related, uh, which is what is the least awkward way to ask someone their pronouns and maybe some advice for uh, people dealing with, you know, messing up new names and pronouns with a little with grace, or for lack of a better word, with the, you know, if it's easier, we can address one question at a time. So we can start with what's the least awkward way to ask someone their their uh, their pronouns. I think it goes a long way to, I guess, like you know, lead by example to introduce your when introducing yourself to give your own pronouns to create the space where that's normal because it can it can be weird if. You know, you're only asking pronouns of people that you think are trans. Then it's like you're you're already singling them out, um, and that can that can feel like an unsafe situation. I think safe and experience. I think it's something that you have to that you have to be creating the space where that's normal. Is my take. Yeah, so I think it goes back to people unlearning and and learning new kind of new patterns and new ways of thinking and hence why we start the show with people's pronouns every episode. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love that that's becoming like a normalized thing across the internet as well. And like I've even seen um, people who would get the badges, they usually get them at like Comic Cons and things, but they'll have their pronouns on them and that they can just wear at all times because it just, it makes it so much more normalized. It's so much easier to kind of feel that freedom of like, hey, I, I don't have to worry about that. Because if we're addressing it with everyone, then no one's getting really called out. And, you know, for online spaces, I think it goes a long way to do just a little bit of research. Because like we we're talking about with sharing your pronouns becoming more normalized, a lot of people nowadays will put them in whatever like little staff bio they have on a company webpage. So taking a minute and looking that up before you send like an email so that you use the right, you know, honorifics before their name. It, you know, takes two minutes, but saves you embarrassment and them discomfort. 
Mm-hmm. On the topic of honorifics, because I always think of honorifics being super gendered. Is there a gender neutral honorifics for people or do we think we should just throw honorifics in the trash can because they're super gendered anyway? I mean, I, I think in general in society, they're becoming less frequent anyway, because like I grew up in the Midwest, so it was very standard to say sir or ma'am. And then moving over here to New England, you call anyone ma'am and they will, they will like eat you alive because <laughs> they assume that means they're old. <laughs> and I'm like, that's literally not what I mean. <laughs> but I, I can kind of, I kind of see how they're starting to fade away in certain areas, which is kind of nice. But on a sillier note, I have, I have heard some like alternatives of like, you know, Supreme Overlord is not gendered. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because I, like, I dislike honorifics because, or not that I dislike them, but, like, I always end up using, uh, like, Ms. because I hate the, like, Miss and Mrs. Like, it's like, it shouldn't matter whether I'm married or not, and I hate this. And so it's like, that's why, like, when, when websites give me the choice to pick Ms., I'm like, yes. Um, but yeah, that if we just threw them in the garbage can, then we wouldn't have to worry about that, and no one would have to think twice about whether I was married or not uh, when addressing me ever, which is fine by me. Yeah, I'm just gonna play in garbage can. <laughs> and so then, do you have any advice on how um, people who are close to you, or people who have people that they're close to in their lives? who are using new names and new pronouns to deal with um, messing up in a way that doesn't make things too awkward or make things too much about them or what, or the mishaps. I mean, like, just correct yourself. Give you a quick apology, but move on. Don't, don't fixate on it. Don't, don't make it into a, a, a bigger thing and call attention from. Like, sometimes, like, you know, I've been receiving in of, like, someone, like, messing up and then they like they get like really like nervous and then it becomes more about like comforting them for their mistake and it's like okay okay but it's um you know it you know mistakes happen you can usually tell when they're honest rather than you know when they're not so honest just correct yourself and move on good advice i think joe or derek do you have anything to add i think i think she hit it nail on the head okay i mean i have I have uh, suggestions on how not to do it. <laughs> don't, don't be like me and spend, you know, eight years going, no, it's it's fine. You'll get it someday. <laughs> so, you're, so you have advice for as being on the receiving end of misgendering that you should advocate for yourself more? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd say for, for other people, just put in the effort. Like it's, if we can change it super easy or you you look at a dog and go oh look he's so cute and someone's like oh no he's a boy oh okay he's so cute why can't we do it for people yeah seriously and we'll return to the show after a quick break as rhode island expands its reopening we could all use some time to reflect stretch and get outside under the blue sky. 
We're taking our annual adult summer reading program and turning it into a summer breathing program to encourage our patrons to safely venture forth after several weeks of confinement. To participate, simply download a bingo card and play along. We've compiled a unique range of indoor and outdoor activities, so there's something for everyone to enjoy. You even have three different bingo cards to choose from. Visit cranstonlibrary.org forward slash summer breathing for more information about the program and to download your bingo card. Looking for another way to keep up with what's going on at the Cranston Public Library? Sign up for our email newsletter. You'll be among the first to learn about upcoming programs for kids, teens, and adults, and new services and collections coming to your library. Subscribe at cranstonlibrary.org. So this is another question submitted by one of my coworkers who said, how can friends, family, and community members create a safe environment for a child to explore gender? Just let them do as they want as far as that goes. Don't, don't come down and say, no, this is for boys or this is for girls. You can't wear that or you can't play with that. Solely because of gender, um, I think it's probably the biggest thing. Listen to them if they tell you stuff is another big one. I think listening is really I think part of it is also just like allowing for that understanding that there are other options than sort of what, you know, that child has was initially assigned or like what they may be having reinforced in their day to day. Like I think just having the information there that like it isn't is it it is an A or B. There's, you know, 24 other letters like just having that around is a big starting point for creating that safe environment yeah i definitely feel like listening is a big part of it um and just there's there's this strange societal like pressure that you have to fit into the gender norms and people try to make like i feel like there's a huge stereotype that goes against trans folk about oh, you're, you're pushing sexuality and all these things on my child. But at the same time, they're looking at like a six-month-old baby and going, oh, he's going to be a heartbreaker. Oh, he's a lady killer. <laughs> and it's like, you talk about bringing sexuality into a kid's life. Like, we're just talking identity and just let them be themselves and just give them that freedom to let them be themselves. And a lot will come from that. All great points. Um, so kind of also related to this, another one of my coworkers asked, what can adults do or what should adults know in order to best support trans or questioning kids slash teens? And if you all had any examples um, of adults that were helpful for you as a young person. If we feel like we already covered this in the last question, we can move on. I mean, say as, as somebody who sort of shifted into a trans non-binary identity as like an adult um i don't necessarily have an example a specific example personal to me um but when i read this question i couldn't help but think about um an experience that uh jen richards talks about in the uh documentary disclosure that's on netflix right now about uh trans rap in the media watching this like roundtable discussion uh, thing that that I believe Candace Kane was leading of parents of non-binary and trans children 
um, and her experience watching this one father who was just very on board and very enthusiastic about his child and for her how that opened up sort of avenues of rethinking how she thought about herself and her identity and extending that love to herself so i think you know a big thing for for parents um to best support you know a child is questioning their gender is to just be be enthusiastic be their biggest supporter if you have questions you don't understand something you know do that do whatever soul searching and researching you do in your private time. But like when that child is there with you, you need to be a hundred percent on board in their corner and just like pumped about it. Yeah. It sounds like some pretty good advice to me. I can't think of any, anything specific from like my childhood um, because I really didn't even understand that trans was a thing until I got into college. Um, and then that explained a world of things. <laughs> but up until that point, there really, it was it wasn't super strict with gender norms like my my mom always considered me a tomboy that sort of thing and i was allowed to run around with my cousins and play in the dirt play with the matchbox cars um so i guess kind of that but a lot more of it that i can think of comes from my adult life and again with my mother because she's been my hardest challenge really um, she took it very hard when i came out to her and almost had a complete falling out about it and she's slowly after like eight years <laughs> starting to come around to things like she sent me my birthday gift recently and had actually written Derek on on the package and I feel like just as as a supportive person pushing yourself to make those self changes even if they're really difficult is very important and it might seem like a silly little thing to you but to a trans person in your life it can be a huge thing like it can affect so much okay great so we got through all of our general questions so now we have the more library specific questions um and the first one is what trans book titles do we need to have in the public library or a public library see for the i think the first two that come to mind um, are uh, Janet Mock's Redefining Realness, which is about her transition experience, um, which is incredibly well-written and, you know, it's her life. So it's a, a great sort of window into humanizing a trans person and a very sort of publicly visible trans person um, as she is, you know, TV producer, director, believe she starred in a few things as well um and on the fiction spectrum um i really enjoyed um an unkindness of ghosts which is um a book that has a non-binary protagonist um and manages to have some interesting explorations of gender and sexuality while critiquing uh like antebellum slave era culture but set on a starship um very good read. I would recommend it. Um, That's a lot of things. It's a lot of things, but they all blend surprisingly well for how various they are, which is Rivers Solomon, I believe is the author on that one. I have a couple of them. They're kind of older, um, mostly because I haven't, unfortunately, have not done a lot of reading. That's a bad thing. <laughs> um, but while I was 
just out of college, like I was scrounging anywhere to find any kind of like trans related literature. And I admittedly am not a nonfiction reader. I love fiction. So that's what I was going for. And that was a really hard thing to find um, in like the early 2000s in that time. So I'm like, well, my late 2000s, how old am I? (laughs) Um, But one of the ones that I really liked, and they're both kind of young adult novels, which they're really great for the younger folks who like want to kind of see a view into this. They're both read very heavily like young adult novels um, but one of them was Luna by Julie Ann Peters and that one struck me as really interesting because it's it's about a um, it's about a transgender girl but it's from her brother's point of view and it was just very unique to watch um, or maybe it was no I think it was her sister it's been a long time since I've read it but the sibling is the point of view. And um, just watching them watch this undercover transition because Luna is the, um, the transgender girl and she can't be out around her parents. So at night, her sibling will actually like take her out and let her be herself. And there was a lot of like very realistic sibling happenings there where they got angry at each other and was like, I feel like you're stealing all my attention, Luna, and why am I putting out all my effort for you and getting nothing in return? And it was, it was just a very interesting one. And a second one I had was I Am Jay by Chris Beam, um, which reading it a second time now that I'm older, I'm just like, oh, this is kind of poorly written. But it was the first book that I had read that had a transgender male character and just the things that happened to him in in this book I was just like wow I think these same thoughts and that was just it was huge to see that in a medium that I loved and it it has horrible pacing and some really unrealistic things happen in it but overall I'm like this is it was just amazing to see that representation and I'm really glad that since that time it has now become way easier and there's way more like trans-centered fiction out there but those were those are definitely two of my favorites that i held on to for a really long time if you're looking for non-fiction recommendations uh anything by julia serena is probably a good look uh her her first non-fiction book whipping girl was kind of my introduction transgender theory i guess is a word for it um That book is probably old enough at this point that maybe some of the theory stuff has age, but there's also a lot of, like, media analysis discussion in there that would still hold up, I imagine. Fiction-wise, Nevada by Imogen Binney is, I've always seen held up by people as, like, the the er trans woman novel. It's kind of a, a road trip novel. She's... The, the main character is kind of fed up with her dead end life in New York and goes on a road trip to Nevada. And the book is kind of her adventures along the way and dealing with being transgender in America, Citra, you know, the early 2000s. All right. Those all sound like great additions to people's reading lists if they want to um, add some both trans 
fiction and nonfiction to their reading list. Um, so how can we make your library experience safer, both in person and virtually? And um, also, how could we make your library experience interesting and more engaging? In regards to the question about how to make the library a safer experience for trans and non-binary individuals, it comes back a lot to like with um, where like the best thing is to establish that track record. Like, you know, make sure that if you have policies, which you should about um, gender inclusion, to make sure that those policies are being enforced by your staff and that they are every day working to like remedy things as they occur. Um, and just like knowing that the staff is there for you in that capacity. And then through that, by extension, the other patrons. As far as like serving transgender patrons, you know, having like materials, like nonfiction and fiction that will be touching on transgender issues is important and worthwhile. Um, blah, 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 but like the same token, you know, you might have to be willing to put in a bit of research. Don't just snap up something to add to the collection just because it has transgender on it, because there's plenty of not so great stuff out there too. And you may not be as um, advancing your collection as much as it looks like on the surface. If you just, if all of the books you get end up being like having a questionable, let's say, representation or questionable science to them, you have to be willing to put in, as with anything where it's not a subject that you're an expert on, it, it pays to do a bit of research into it. Yeah, for sure. And I think in one of the biggest ways to um, ensure that you're adding things to your collection that are good and have good representation is to look at the author and make sure that you have own voices. Mm -hmm. um, that's stuff I do a lot as a collector. In Now in my job, I collect for all age groups, all um, at my specific branch. And so I'm always looking for even books that we already own. Um, it's like, okay, if I want to put stuff out on the display, let me look at the authors. This like a folktale written about African like folktales or Native American folktales written by a white person because then maybe I'm less inclined to put that out because that's not coming from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Derek, do you have anything to add from a library patron perspective? Um, I would definitely say like a lot more of these these kind of like peeks into the community programs. Um, because growing up, like I, I was at the library like every day because I practically lived there. And, but that kind of thing just didn't exist in our library. And maybe it's because it was a little tiny library in rural Ohio, or maybe it was just that library programming wasn't as in-depth back then. But the idea of having like programming that could bring two social groups together that might not connect too much and kind of almost be able to learn from one. Um, that was a very new thing even recently, whenever you mentioned before that you had done programs like this. Um, and I was like, that's a super cool thing. Like, I wish I had that years ago. I haven't. Um, I've seen other librarians do it. I don't want to create, take credit for other librarians' <laughs> awesome programming because I totally yeah. stole the idea. Um, <laughs> 
but even so, like, I think just continuing to have really good programming that is not necessarily just about like trans and LGBT like lives, but actually bringing in parts of the community uh, like we're doing here. So there's a more intimate view into it as opposed to let's just talk facts or, you know, opinions. It kind of gives like a better, almost like a better window into it for someone who may not have experienced too much of it. And like as a trans patron myself, seeing that available to increase like education and just information and eradicating like misinformation and hatred is a huge thing. And I love seeing it. And that kind of ties into the last question that I had, which is like, what kind of programming would you like to see that you don't currently see offered? So I think Derek touched on what he would like to see. Uh, Joe and Aaron, if you guys have anything to add about programming that you would like to see or you would like to do going forward as a, as a librarian. <laughs> I won't steal your ideas, I promise. <laughs> well, until the, the, the pandemic, you know, went and ruined everything, I was doing programming with a teen center, so it was all like teen focused, but like a, a teen movie night that was focused on showing like uh, LGBTQI pullback uh, topic movies. And I thought that was a, that has some good attendance to it. I, I think that's a that's a way to uh connect to buy the space to be you know see some stuff that maybe some people wouldn't have the opportunity to see at home. Um, unfortunately, that's not so much as an option right now with pandemic restrictions. But uh, in general, and stuff like that. Barring a global health crisis, yeah, yeah. barring that, <laughs> these are these are programs we'd like to see. Yeah, definitely. I think I would say. This is less, I think, a specific program suggestion, but for every program, um, and hearkening back to our first sort of point of, you know, trans 101 is that trans people are people, um, is to remember when you're putting on other programs that, like, there's likely a trans person who is in that field or, you know, is an expert on what you're trying to talk about and, like, including their voices in, you know, programs that aren't centered on the trans experience or, like, you know what it is to be trans, like, I, I'm sure there are, you know, plenty of trans historians that would love to just give a talk about, like, the 1860s and its implications for the cotton industry, like, having those voices is is a good inclusion for everyone. Yeah, that's, I, I feel like in our conversations about diversity and inclusion, and, you know, people talk about that for all different groups, and seeing that a lot now black people and people of color are all like we you can invite us to come talk about more than just race like we yeah. also want to talk about our expertise like that's why we went to school that's why we became an expert in this thing um so yeah i think generally it's important to think about who who might be an expert in this thing that voices aren't necessarily always heard in that conversation yeah diversity is a round-the-clock thing it's not if you just have it in a little box to the side, that's not actually being diverse. I like that. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Be my guest. <laughs> um, is there anything else you would like to add to kind of wrap this up? Now's your time to plug anything if you want. <laughs> the only projects I really just have thought I'd put secret. it out there. All the projects you have are top secret. Yeah, I have to 
that's yeah. very mysterious. Not just like fan fiction writing. I'm not. I'm not going to plug that. Um, oh yeah, no, you don't have to plug your fan fiction if you don't yeah, want to. Yeah, <laughs> that could be for you. I get yeah. that. I feel that. That's all I really oh. got going. <laughs> but if uh, that's everything, then thank you all three of you for coming it was wonderful to have you and i'm so glad that we got an opportunity to do this and thank you all for listening and this has been another episode of downtime downtime is a production of the cranston public library our theme music is day trips by ketza and our ad music is happy ukulele by scott holmes Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. To find out everything your library can do for you, visit our website at cranstonlibrary.org. Downtime with Cranston Public Library is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you find your podcasts. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. Join us next week for more Downtime. Yeah.